Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, and it's good to be back with you. Uh, I've been gone the last couple weeks, and I uh, got to do a couple things. We got to go see family in Texas and see all the, the grandparents and the aunts and uncles that haven't seen our kids in a little while and, and got to say things like, oh, they're so big now, and, and got to meet another kid. We have a third child that a lot of them haven't met yet, and so they got to meet Tanavi. And uh, so that was a really fun time for our family. And then we also got to be in Portland, Oregon. And some of you may know this. We have a church in Portland, Oregon named Redeemer Church that supports our church. If you're new with us, we're a new church. We're about two years into this thing. And so we have some other people and some other churches that have come alongside us financially and through prayer to help us get started and be where we are today. And so I got to go to Redeemer Church. I think we have a picture of them. Yeah, so that's, that's the day I was there. I got to preach there on the church and talk about the church and what we've experienced and what we see in Scripture and challenge them and encourage them in some ways. And it was a really, really encouraging time. And here's why. As I would give updates on PBC, as I would talk to people after the service and give updates on different things that had happened, most all those people would say things like, oh, yeah, I, I read that. Oh, yeah, I, I saw that on social media or somewhere else. Or, oh, yeah, I, I heard about that. That was amazing. I love that you guys did that. Or, oh, yeah, I've been, I've been praying for that. You see, they were following along with us every step of the way. And, and so much so, to be honest with you, they stole my thunder a little bit. I was like, I, I wanted to share these amazing updates about our church. And you, you, already, you already know them. But it was so encouraging. And listen, I know it was encouraging for us as a family. It was encouraging for me as your pastor. But it should be encouraging for you as well. That a lot of you serve in lots of ways. Some of you are new to this thing. And maybe you're not used to this in a new church. You're like, what is all that about? And some of us who have been here for a while or are new to this thing, some of this becomes routine and comfortable. And we just think all this just happens. And we set up the stage and we meet here. And some people have come to know Jesus. We've baptized 10 people in the last two years. And some people are in community groups. We have eight of those walking through scripture and life together during the week. And some of you, this just becomes familiar. And you become comfortable. And you're just like, God, what's the big deal? You need to know there's a few hundred people in Portland, Oregon. In Portland. Uh, Portland's weird. <laughs> Let's just be honest. I mean, why, why do they care about what's going on with us? Why are they keeping up with us every step of the way? Why are they praying for you and investing in you, investing in us financially? Listen, I, I don't know if you... Just stumble in here and just get into routine. But you need to be encouraged this morning. That what is happening here is a work of God that other people in another part of the country are a part of. They're excited about. That, that we get to be a part of that together. And so I, I hope that encourages you. I hope that uplifts your spirits this morning, maybe helps you see and pull back and see the bigger picture that God is building a new church, a new work in the sixth largest city in the country. And where is he doing that? Right in the heart of the city, a place that's radically changing and developing, and we're on the cusp of that. Uh, Jesus is being made much of in a different area of our city. It's because you're here. It's because other people have supported that, and God is doing a work in and through you. Be encouraged this morning by that. 
I was encouraged that over the last two weeks, Zach and, and Robert continued our series in Ephesians. I got to hear those sermons and hear from many of you how those things went. And it was super encouraging to stay in this series. We're going to continue in it. And just one more moment, I just want to give you two things. And these are updates really since I've been gone. And uh, one is our bulletin. You should have gotten one of these when you walked in. In fact, uh, pull that out real quick and show me you got it just so we can see. Hold that up real high. There we go. I see glorious grace flooded throughout the auditorium. That's good. Yeah, we should, uh, we should celebrate this. When you're a new church, you celebrate things like bulletins uh, because those are a big deal. This is about a year in the works of figuring out how do we do this in a sustainable way. We checked out some other churches, and they spend like a few hundred dollars a Sunday on bulletins, and we're just thinking, ah, I don't know that we should do that uh, or can do that. And so uh, we figured out a way to buy perforated paper. Um, so if you can see this, our Connect card is now on here, and you can perforate it means you can tear it off. And drop it in the offering. And so if you're new with us, this is as easy as, as it's ever been to connect with our church. So you pick the right Sunday to come, right? You can just fill that connect card off, tear it off, and drop it in the offering. Take it back to the connect desk. I just want to thank a couple people, Nathan uh, Thomas, Leah Wolf, for putting this all together. Would you guys thank them? It's a big deal. We have bulletins. As you look in the insert, you see different things that are going on. One of those things that's going on today is a cookout. And so if you had plans for lunch, we want you to cancel them. Uh, we want you to stay. We're going to have a cookout for you. We're providing the meat. Other people brought sides. You just stay, even if you didn't plan on it. We're having a little costume contest for people who dressed up. I think I already see the winner in this direction, but I'm not the judge. We have judges for that. So, uh, so stay, hang out, meet somebody you haven't met before. Let's, let's celebrate that today. Uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, so grab a Bible and go there if you're not there already. Um, before we get into the passage, I want to start with a question, and the question is this. How have you changed in the last eight weeks? How have you changed in the last eight weeks? And so we're eight weeks into this series Glorious Grace, in the book of Ephesians, going verse by verse through this book. We gave you a study guide. We encouraged you to study more on your own, to get with somebody else, to dive into that during the week. You've been hashing this out in your community groups every week, and we're eight weeks into this thing. So, so what's changed about your life? What's different about the way you, you think, your attitude, your affections, your will? What, what's changed? What's more like Jesus since we started this, this book? And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I don't even know that I've really ever thought about that. Well, eight weeks in is a good time to start thinking about that, right? Because that's the whole goal of this thing, right? That's, that's when we walk in here. That's when we sing songs. That's when we look at God's word. That's when we go through a book of the Bible is that as we look at this truth, it transforms. It changes things about us. And that's not just the goal of our time here or the Christian faith. That's the goal of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We talked about it the first couple of weeks of how Ephesians is laid out, that chapters 1 through 3 talk about our identity in Christ, that those phrases in Christ or in him or in the beloved occur 11 times just in the first 14 verses of the book, that in Jesus we have a new identity. Chapter 1 talks about that we've been adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. Uh, chapters 
chapter 2 talks about we've experienced a double reconciliation. That means vertically to God, we're reconciled, we're made at peace with God, and horizontally with others, we're made at peace with others. Our identity has changed collectively. Chapter 3, we're fellow heirs. We get to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And what's amazing about all of that in chapters 1 through 3 of our identity is there's nothing about what we have done in those verses at all in three chapters, right? That's why it's glorious grace. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. And we said that the first couple of weeks as well, is that Christianity, if you're new to this thing, at its core, it's not about what you have done. It's about what God has already done for you in Christ. That's why the title of the series is, is Glorious Grace. He has radically transformed our identity based on no effort of our own. It's all about Jesus. And chapters 1 through 3 lay that out. Chapters 4 through 6, the second half of the book, get into our activity. Chapter 4, you guys went through this last week with Robert, starts with, I therefore urge you to walk. In our passage today, it's now this I say, you must no longer walk. He says, now that you understand who you are, it should change how you live. And that's our big idea for this morning. If you take notes, you can write this down. Our big idea is our identity in Christ changes our activity to be more like Christ. Our identity in Christ changes our activity to be more like Christ. It changes how we live. If you haven't considered that this morning, you need to begin to consider it as we walk through these verses because that's what Paul is going to take us through. We're going to just look at three points uh, the first one is why we need to change. Look at the passage with me, verse 17. It says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so just stopping right there, if you see how Paul starts off, he says, now this I say. Paul is emphasizing something. He's proclaiming something. And in doing so, he's testifying in the Lord. What that means is Paul's not just spouting off good thoughts or crafty words. Paul is saying, this is what I have experienced personally. It's his testimony. And what is his testimony? What has he experienced? Look at the text with me. It says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. The Gentiles, the people who didn't worship God. He says, there's some things you should stop doing. There's some things that should no longer be true of you because of who you are in Christ. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, that, that they're walking in a direction away from God, not of the things of God, and that you should walk a different direction, that you don't walk that way anymore. And he's talking about non-believers, but, but the emphasis and, and the direction he's taking this is that as he's writing to believers, there's the implication that, that they can be tempted to walk this way, right? You, you must no longer walk like that. Why did he need to say that? It's because we're tempted to walk this way, right? And so Paul is saying, you don't need to walk that way. You need to be different. You can't go back to your old life. Why? Look at the text. He says this old life is, is futile. That word in the original language is very similar to the word vanity 
in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It's the idea that what may seem to have value ultimately proves to be worthless, to be empty, to be vain. He's saying that they're futile in their their minds. So it's an empty way of thinking. It's an empty way of processing life. Verse 18, look at that verse. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated because of their ignorance. That they don't know God. They're blind to him and they're ignorant. But it's interesting. Verse 18, it says, this is due to the hardness of their heart. So you see, it's, it's not just a lack of information. It's a lack of inclination. They're not living right because they're not thinking right. And they're not thinking right because they don't want to. And that all of us, even if you know Jesus, that you can fall back into that. And Paul is saying, don't. You don't think like that anymore. You've been changed by Jesus. Verse 19, he says, they become callous. Some of you who play guitar or some of you who lift weights, you you know what what a callus is. You get on your hand, it begins to harden your skin. Like some of you want those kinds of things. Like if you work out and lift a lot of weights, you're like, this is proof of my strength, right? Not so much with your heart, right? And Paul is describing that that we can, and and Gentiles and non-believers can be callous in their heart, that their heart has become hardened, that they're desensitized. Not only to, to pleasure, but to pain. And some of you are thinking, well, that's, that's a good thing, right? I, I don't want to feel pain. But, but you need to know, pain is there to help you. It's there to protect you. You think about it, if something's hot, like my, my wife's hair straightener that's always on in the morning, that thing is deadly. If something is hot and, and I don't have any sensitivity in my hands and I go near that and I don't realize it's hot, I'm going to grab that thing and it's going to hurt really, really bad, right? Whereas because I have sensitivity, as I get near it, I I feel, I I don't think I want to grab that, right? I don't think I want to go there. And so I'm I'm saved from that deeper pain, right? And what Paul is saying is that these people have become callous, that they're desensitized. They can't feel pain anymore. And it's, it's a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue. And so there's, there's no shock anymore. Like, there's no grief anymore over sin. And some of you, some of you feel this, right? You've felt this at times in your life. Some of you feel this this morning. There's some things in your life, some cycles of sin, some habits of your old life, some friends that you hang out with, some places you go, some things you say, some lies you believe. And if you're honest, you become callous to them. You're desensitized to them. What used to shock you doesn't anymore. What you used to see on the news and you think, how could that ever happen? You just think that's, that's the world in which we live. The things you used to do in secret that afterwards you thought, how could I ever do that? How could I disappoint my family? How could I offend a holy God? Those things that used to cause that to well up within you no longer do. And you begin to think five years in, ten years into that cycle of sin, like maybe that's just the, the way that I, that I am. Uh, maybe, you know, I'm single, and so it's just different for me. I mean, if I was married, maybe it wouldn't be this way. If I had kids, it wouldn't be this way. But, but nobody knows what it's like to be me and, and single, and, and it's just a struggle for me. And so you begin to accept it. 
Maybe for some of you at work, you become comfortable with, with gossip and greed, and, and you think, well, this is just, I mean, maybe when I was right out of college, I was kind of uncomfortable with that, but 10 years in, 20 years in, this is just what you need to do to get ahead, and you become, you become callous. Maybe your class load has, has gotten more difficult, and, and you just think, well, I'm just really busy right now, Tim, and I just I need these other things in my life, this sensuality, this greed to practice impurity that Paul talks about. I need those things for, for release. My, my class load's just kind of heavy. It's never been like this before, and I, and I need those things to, to escape, and you just, you just don't understand it. And maybe it used to not be like that, but, but you become callous. Maybe even if you have kids and the busyness of life, you just think, yeah, we, we used to study scripture. We used to um, think more thoughtfully about church and, and living life with other people and, and spending time and cultivating authentic relationships with others based around scripture in community, following Jesus together. And you think, well, now we have kids. Life's too busy. Life's, life's too chaotic. We, we can't really do that anymore. You didn't know if, if those thoughts are running through your head, if that's what you've experienced, you become, you become callous. You become desensitized. And Paul is saying, you don't walk like that anymore. He, he's painting this picture so you can see this is how you were, but this is how you also can be at times without Jesus. And we need to see that and ask that about ourselves. Are we hard in our hearts are we callous in our hearts? And, and let's just be honest, this is difficult, right? Even as you hear that, you're thinking, yeah, that's me. Like, I can relate to those examples, but it's difficult to change that. Why? Because in our culture today, we celebrate hardness of heart. I was just listening to a song on the radio the other day by the Rolling Stones, You'll Never Break This Heart of Stone. All right, some of you heard that song from back in the day, and, and they weren't sad about that. Let me just tell you. No, they were celebrating. You'll never break this heart of stone. It was, it was bragging about that fact. And we celebrate that. Not, it's not just in songs. We celebrate it. We celebrate it when we say things like, this is just the way I am. I need to be true to myself. I need to speak my mind. We see this all over the news, in our music, on our TV. It's in our political campaigns, on all sides. Like right now, all you hear about is cutting others down, of saying, I'm not going to let them prevent me from success, and we do that by cutting others down, and we're hard, and we celebrate being bold and powerful, and everything is under our control, and when politicians say things like that, and the debates that you've seen, and the rallies that you've seen, they say things like that, and those zinger one-liners of, of, of celebrating their boldness and their hardness, what do we do? What do the crowds do when that happens? We applaud, right? We, we uproar in a standing ovation. Man, that guy's so bold. Hey, he's so strong. How could he say that? Man, he's really got guts and courage. You see, in our culture today that you and I live in, we don't grieve hardness of heart. We glory in it. And so what Paul is calling us to not walk like, this is ingrained within us. It's ingrained within our, our culture. We celebrate it. And Paul is saying, Christian, not you. You, you don't celebrate that. You, you walk away from that. That's not who you are anymore. And I know even as I say that, maybe some of you are thinking right now, like, Tim, are you getting political? 
I mean, you're talking about one specific campaign or one specific politician. No. Some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I, there is a reason why I'm like this. I mean, you don't understand how the world works. I mean, you're a pastor. I mean, you don't have a real job, so you don't understand how things really work in the real world. It's a tough world out there. You've got to be hard. You need to know if that's your thoughts right now, you, you have a hardness of heart. That if you're deflecting and defending in this moment, instead of softening and tendering your heart to what God wants to say to you, that you have a, a hardness of heart. So what do we do with that? Right? I just mentioned a lot of things that are depressing, to be quite honest with you. Right? Verses 17 through 19, it's this picture that, that we can be futile, that we can be darkened and hardened and and dive into sensuality and impurity. And some of you hear that and you're like, I don't like thinking about that stuff. I don't like seeing that picture of myself. But Paul is pointing these things out because we need to see that picture, don't we? I've shared this story before, but there was a time in my life early on in ministry where I wasn't in the best shape. I just let my health go a little bit. I wasn't really working out. I wasn't eating the green bean occasionally. I just was stressed out and it just let myself go a little bit. It wasn't healthy. And I remember one Sunday afternoon, I was sitting in a recliner and I had a bowl of ice cream. And I was sitting there just going at that bowl of ice cream, my guts all hanging out. And I was just, I was just into it. And my wife comes by, my sweet wife comes by, and she thinks, I want to snap a cute little photo of my husband in this moment, right? And I'm thinking, no, 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 don't, don't, don't do that. Like, but let me put this away. <laughs> Like, don't, that's not a good time for a photo shoot, right? But my cute little wife, she loves taking pictures, so she comes over and she snaps this picture of me. And at first, I'm like, well, I don't want to see that. And then what do you do? You're like, oh, let me see that. Give me that. I'm going to delete that. And I look at it. I grab the phone, and I, I just looked at the picture, and I just thought, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, how, how did it get this bad? I almost fell down. How did it get this bad? I almost fell down then, too. I was like, how did it get this bad? I didn't realize it looked like that. And you know what I didn't do in that moment as I saw that picture? I didn't walk to the fridge and get another bowl of ice cream, right? I didn't, I didn't just sit back down in the recliner. No, I began to think about, like, Taco Bell has taken over my life. They should be ashamed, and I should be ashamed for letting that happen, right? I began to think about, like, man, that gym membership that we canceled, like, I need to restart that thing. Like, I haven't worked out in a long time. And so I went, and I got some Nikes in my closet. I laced them up, and I went for a run right then. You see, what, what happened there is I saw a vivid picture of who I was, exactly how it was. And I began to see the sin in that, the ugliness of that, and I, I wanted to see that change. And that's why Paul is painting this picture. Biblically, it's called confession. You see a great example of it in Psalm 51. David, I'm going to read you some of it. Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. He's seeing those transgressions in his life. And he's saying, blot them out. He says, I know my transgressions. He's awakened to those realities. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He goes on to talk about that, that God would purge him 
that he would make him clean, that he would wash me whiter than snow. And he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see, before we can begin to be changed and be more like God, we have to see that we're not like God, right? That that's confession. And that all of us need to take time to experience that. As difficult as it is, we don't like seeing that picture. We don't like sitting in our car or sitting in a quiet room and thinking through, God, what have I done to offend you? We don't like doing that, right? Nobody likes doing that. But if we never do that, if we never come to grips with who we were and what can slip back into our life, we'll never be who God wants us to be. And so it's confession. And some of you think, well, Tim, I'll, I'll admit that. I, I'm sinful, and I'm sinful in a lot of those ways, but, but I don't know how to pray like that. Well, you could just read Psalm 51. Like in your time with God, you could get alone with God and just say, God, I, I don't know how to talk to you. I'm new to this thing, but I'm just going to read this to you because this is how I feel right now. And you can read scripture to God. He knows your heart. And you can begin to confess because in your confession, he moves you to repentance and to change. And that's what we see in verse 20. Look at that verse. The second point is, is how we change. Verse 20, it says, but th that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what changes our activity? It's Christ. Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you've heard about him, you were taught in him, the truth that is in Jesus, that this is how you put off your old self in verse 22. That as you look at that, notice Paul isn't pointing these people to live more like the Jews. Paul isn't saying, like, well, look at our Jewish heritage. I mean, come on, like, really, you have to go back to that and start living like that. He's saying, no, this is how you've learned Christ, that what changes a person is Jesus, that there's only two types of people in our world. And listen, it's not good and bad people. It's not Republicans and Democrats. It's people who have been changed by Jesus and people who are without Jesus. That our only hope for change is if we hear Jesus, if we're taught in Jesus, because the truth is in him. That's our only hope for change. And so Paul begins to point us to Jesus. And in verse 22, he describes what this change looks like. He says to put off your old self. It has the same idea of taking off a set of clothes and putting on new ones. The idea is to change into a different kind of behavior. I don't know if you remember those awkward clothes you used to wear in high school. Like maybe you were digging through pictures and you saw a picture of yourself from high school and you thought, how did I dress like that? Like how did my parents let me walk out like that? Right? Have you ever done that? Is it just me? All right, well, I've done that and I've seen pictures of myself wearing jeans and a white t-shirt like every day, like a lot of pictures like that. Because I thought that was cool when I was in high school, but what happened? I graduated from high school, and I realized I need to change my wardrobe, right? I'm in college now. And then in every season of life, as things begin to change for me, I got a job, right? I became a pastor, and so I couldn't wear Vans and a white T-shirt every Sunday on stage. 
right? I began to change my clothes because I was in a new stage of life. Something had changed in my life, and so I began to change my clothes. And listen, what Paul is describing is like that, that you are taking off some old behaviors, some old patterns, some old habits, some old decisions that used to be just the way you did things. But now you've heard Christ. Now you've been taught in Christ. Now you've seen the truth that is in Christ. And you're taking those things off and you're replacing them with other things. Because those things don't fit anymore. Right? We try to make them fit, but they don't fit anymore. It's just like your clothes from high school. Maybe you hung on to that shirt from high school. Maybe you hung on to like your team or your sports jersey or your band outfit from high school, right? Anybody do that? And and you hang on to that, just that one thing from high school to remember it by. And then maybe like 10, 15, 20 years later, you think, I wonder. I wonder if I could still fit into that thing. (laughs) And and you try, and, and you put it on, and maybe some people around you are like, you look just the same. Haven't changed a bit. And your real friends behind them are just shaking their head like, No, you need to take that off. Like, bro, you need to change that white T-shirt. It's not a good look anymore. Like, it's constricting your breath. Right? It's too tight. It doesn't fit anymore. It's just like those old behaviors. It's just like those old decisions. It's your old self. It's your old words that you used to say. That sometimes you think, man... It might be fun just to go to that same place, just to hang out with this crew or to do these things. They used to be fun. Like maybe I should go back there and you try it and you realize that doesn't fit anymore. And you go through a lot of pain trying to make it fit. And Paul is saying, take off those clothes. You need to put on new ones. Why? Look at the text. That these are your old, they're former, they're corrupt, they're deceitful. So as you think they might be good, you need to know they're They're deceiving you, that you are deceived, that they're not. This this isn't what you need to be walking in any longer. You're deceived. So put off the old self, but what's interesting is he doesn't immediately say put on the new self. Look at the text. Verse 22 says put off the old self, and he doesn't say put on the new self till verse 24, two verses later. Why? Because something needs to happen first. This isn't legalism. Don't hear that today. If you're thinking about all the things you used to do and all the things you're tempted to do and you're thinking, well, I just, in my willpower, I have to get rid of them and I have to start going to church and reading my Bible and praying, it's not as simple as that. Something needs to happen in that gap, and we see it in verse 23. Look at that verse, that we need to be renewed, renewed in the spirit of our minds, that it starts with our our thinking. That word renewed literally means to make new again to substitute your nature. It's a new way of thinking, of processing. It's a rewiring of what it means to live in the family of God. And listen, that's an ongoing process. That salvation happens in a moment, but sanctification happens over a lifetime. That we constantly have to be renewed in our thinking. That there are are ways that are built into us and when, when stress hits, when conflict and relationships hit, we, we, just, we just run because that's what we used to do. We just click because that, that's what we're used to doing. 
We just use those words and we lash out in anger and we talk in gossip because, because that's what we're used to doing. And Paul is saying, you need to be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. That needs to change. Your way of thinking that runs to that, it needs to be transformed. You need to have new habits and new thoughts. You need to be renewed. And listen, as you begin to confess, like we did in Psalm 51, as you begin to confess and you ask the Spirit of God and Jesus what he's taught you to change you, he begins to renew you. As you get around a different group of people who, who aren't saying, hey, let's, let's walk this way, they're saying, no, let's, let's walk this way. Like, let's agree with Paul. Let's agree with Scripture, and let's walk towards him. Let's not, let's not glory in hardness of heart anymore. Let's, let's grieve that, and let's walk a different way. As you get around some people, over time, you begin to be renewed. And you don't go back there. This is what should be happening. As we go through the book of Ephesians, this is what should be happening in the Christian life. And he gives us a picture of if that happens, here's what this would look like. We see it in verse 25, what a changed life looks like. Some practical examples. Verse 25, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul is giving us a picture. If, if our life has changed, here are some things that will change. He gives us a lot. I just want to break it down into three categories. The first one is, is words. That if we change, if our mind is being renewed and that works itself out into our activity, our words will change. Look at the verse in 25. He says to put away falsehood, to speak truth. Why are we able to do that? In the text, it says, because we're members of one another. That as Christians now who have been changed, who don't walk like this anymore, who walk a different way with God and with others, that we're able to speak truth. That, that practically, the reason why we're able to do that is because we're members of one another. And maybe some of you have experienced this, that maybe your friends in a previous life, your friends from college, your friends from years ago, they didn't speak truth to you. They just spoke what you wanted to hear. And now you have some believers around you. Now you're part of a church, and, and people begin to speak truth to you. They put away falsehood. Why are they able to do that? It's because you're, you're members of one another. It's because you realize, if I talk about this sin, they're not going to bolt. No, they're going to say, of course, you're, you're a sinner. You're broken, and you need Jesus, and let's look at how we can discover that together. And you can begin to speak truth with one another because you know we're, we're members. They're not going to bolt at the first hint of conflict. Listen, this is the beauty of the church, that in this room right now, in community groups, you should have some relationships where people can say a hard truth to you, and you don't run away, and they don't either. 
because you're locking arms with one another. You're members of one another. That you have the freedom to speak truth and be spoken truth too. And so it's that person who tells you that shirt's too tight, right? And you need to put on a different shirt. It's that person who says, hey, I, I know you think this is good, this gossip, this slander. I know you think that helps you kind of just deal with some hurt and pain in your life, but that's not who you are anymore. I, I know that's hard to hear, but, but you need to hear that. I'm your friend. I love you. I want to tell you that. It's that moment in a community group where you're talking through Scripture, and, and you say something like, I just, I just don't really know if, if God really meant that. I mean, that seems kind of harsh. It's that moment where you could say, Oh, maybe you're right. I mean, God is love. Or you could speak truth and say, you know, God is love, but God is a God who is holy and who does not put up with sin. And sometimes we need to hear that hard truth from him, and, and I'm going to proclaim that to you in this, in this moment. And the reason we can say things like that is because we're, we're members. We're part of this thing together that we can put away falsehood. If we have changed lives, we'll begin to do that, Right? Why? Because it's for our good. It's not good. It's not loving to let someone continue down a cycle of sin. That's the most hateful thing you could do, right? It's not loving to keep quiet when you see somebody is destroying their, their marriage. That's not loving. It's not loving when you see somebody is going away from God's word and saying, you know, I, I kind of know how this thing works now. I've been doing this thing a while humility, teachability, all those things. Maybe they were overvalued. I mean, that was when I was new to Christ and new to church and trying to fit in, but, but not anymore. And when you begin to sense that and hear that, you don't need to stay silent. You don't need to wait for me to say it as your pastor. You, as a, a Christian who has been changed by God, who's experienced this old self to new self, you begin to speak that truth because that's how you love one another. And we stick together through that because that is the most loving thing we could do is speak truth. We're changed, and that's a part of our life now. Verse 29, it talks about how we use our words to build up, to speak grace, that we don't tear down. Can you imagine a culture like that? It's tough right now, isn't it? Like some of you, even in this room, you're like, if I had to just encourage with my words, I don't know what I would say. Like, I don't have vocabulary for that. When I think about encouraging, I just think, like, uh, uh, my kid's soccer game, and I'm like, you can do it, Johnny. Like, how do I bring that into the church? How do I bring that into my relationships? I don't even know how to do that. Because our culture is so used to, we're so used to bringing down with our words. And Paul is saying, not if you've been changed by Jesus. Not if your identity is in Christ, that your new activity will be encouragement. I experienced this this week. Somebody in our church wrote me a card. And just said all these things, I'm thankful for you for these reasons. And I just wanted to let you know that. And he, he gave me the card, and I, I began to read that, and I just, I was encouraged. I was encouraged, one, that it was a guy who took time to write a card, and, it, and his handwriting was legible. And I was encouraged that he took the time to even do that. It didn't even matter what he said. But then I, I began to read what he said. And I was like, man, I'm so encouraged. Like, yeah, this is why I do this. This is why I'm a pastor. This is why we're doing this church. I was encouraged. Do you know the power you have with your words? If you've been changed by Jesus, you'll begin to use that power to build up, not to, to tear down. That it changes our, our work and money. Look at verse 28. 
It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he can share with others. So maybe some of you are thinking, well, I didn't used to steal and now work. I don't know if I can relate to that. But we can all relate to doing honest work so that we can give stuff away. That as you follow Jesus, as your identity has changed, it's now in Christ. Your old self is gone. Your new self is here. What that looks like is that what you do with your vocation and your finances is less about what you can get for you and more about what you can give to others. That that should define us as believers. That we should experience that. That we should step out in that. That means giving to the church, but that also means just giving to others. That means finding a way to think about how can I be generous because God has been generous with me. That we have the opportunity to do that with our work and finances. That it no longer terminates on you. So some of you think, Tim, I have a boring job. No, you don't. Right? Even if you're in a cube doing something you don't really want to do, that's resourcing, that has the opportunity to resource and fuel God's mission through the local church. It has the opportunity to resource other people through needs and meeting those needs. Specifically for us, right? we have that opportunity before us downtown. Whatever you do for a living, you have the opportunity, whatever it is, to help give that away. And that's what the changed life Looks like, number three, it affects our emotions and relationships. You see that in verses 26 and 27, and 31 and 32. 26 and 27, it talks about in our anger, do not sin. Listen, we all get angry. There's a way you can get angry and not sin, apparently. And so when you get angry, you need to be, okay, I'm angry, like I'm going to come to grips with that, but I'm not going to lash out at my wife in this moment. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read a verse of scripture. Paul gives a timeline to it. He says, don't let the sun go down on it. So if you're angry, hey, we all get angry. Don't dwell in that. Don't go to sleep with that. Don't let that fester in your heart. Verses 31 through 32 talk about the other way you can go with your anger. that It can lead to, to bitterness and malice and all these other things, wrath that you can let your anger well up inside you so much and you don't ever talk about it, you don't ever take that walk, you don't ever pray, you don't ever read scripture, you don't ever put it to bed, and it just destroys you on the inside. And maybe you never lash out at somebody, but right now you're thinking of people in your life that you're bitter against. Uh, Paul is saying, that's not you anymore. That you put those things away, that your emotions, your relationships are no longer dictated by you. They're determined by Jesus, that your step in each day, in each decision, in each emotion, in each relationship, it's determined by, by Jesus. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, tender-hearted, so God can shape you, forgiving one another. How do we do all that? Because God in Christ forgave us. He says briefly, and I want to touch on it, verse 30, he says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So you may be wondering what that means. You need to know first the the Holy Spirit is not an it. Sometimes we think that way. We say that it. It's not an energy. It's not some supernatural force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's a person. It's the person of God. And and what he's saying is that when when we don't put these things off, when we don't experience this changed life, that we grieve the heart of God. 
we grieve the person of God. And a lot of us, we don't think about that with our sin, do we? Especially the ones hidden in secret. We think this isn't hurting anybody else. I don't see the direct consequences of this, but you need to know the Holy Spirit is indwelled within you, that it's with you every day, that God is with you every day. He is with you every day, and he sees all. He knows all, and it grieves him. It grieves him. Why does it grieve him? Think about earlier in Ephesians. Just think back to Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. Look at what God has, has done for you, that he has adopted you, that you're in a new family. You don't have to be in the old family anymore. He's adopted you. He's redeemed you. He's bought you out of your old self and your sin, and he's brought you and set you free to a new way of life. He's redeemed you. And so when we go back to these things, when we don't put away falsehood, when we hang on to our anger, when we go to sensuality, that grieves the heart of God. It gives him sorrow because he thinks, this is what I've done for you. You have a new family. You've been set free. Why would you go back and enchain yourself again? Like those shackles have been broken. And so it grieves his, his heart when, when you sin. And so some of you, when you sin, you only feel guilt and shame. And you need to feel that a little bit. But you also need to know this, this saddens God, God's heart. He, he wants better for you than that. It, it grieves him when we sin and we don't see this new identity in all its glory, that it is glorious grace and that it moves us to a new activity, that God wants that for you more than you want it for yourself. If you realize that, that should prompt you to take some of these steps this morning to see this changed life work out in your life. I want to give you just a couple ways to do that. As we close, um, these won't be on the screen, but you can, just, you can write them down. The first question I want you to ask is, what aspects of your activity are inconsistent with your identity? As you look at your life and your behavior and your decisions and your choices and your thoughts, even those that are running through your mind right now, what is inconsistent about that with what God says about who you are, that you're adopted, redeemed? forgiven, that you're reconciled vertically to God, horizontally with one another, that you should speak the truth and love. What is inconsistent about your life with that? You need to see that picture. You need to confess that. This morning, before you leave, you need to experience confession. As we take communion in a few moments, you need to confess. You need to walk through those things. Maybe you need to confess to your spouse or your friend or the person who brought you. Maybe you need to pull out Psalm 51 and read it later today. You need to, to confess that. We need to see that picture. The second thing, you need to find renewal in Jesus. You need to find renewal in Jesus. That you wouldn't look to some other people and think, I need to be more like that. That you wouldn't just try to muster up some strength to change some things in your life through your willpower. That you would get more of Jesus. That you would see there's a better desire, there's a better life, and it's in Jesus. And I'm going to run there instead of here. So you don't just run away. You run to God, and you find renewal, and you begin to have your habits and your thoughts and your patterns reshaped by him. The third thing that you find reminders in others. 
So you find renewal in Jesus, you find reminders in others, so that if you have people in your life who are always pulling you back to the old self, you need some new friends, right? If you don't know anybody in this room, you need to build some relationships. If you aren't in a community group, you need to find one because you need some people who can look at your life, who can tell you the shirt's too small, that it doesn't fit anymore, that it's not a good look, you need to change clothes, you need those people in your life. You need, as you start to drift towards that, that they say, no, 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 we're not going to let you do that. And you're like, man, I hate it that I have these friends. And you, you need those friends that don't just let you run into sin and run to your old life. You need a new crew around you, right, that prays for you, that speaks truth to you, that asks you hard questions. You need those reminders from other people. Do you have those? How can you take steps in that direction this morning? How can you stay for the cookout and just meet somebody new and see if it, it starts to trend that direction? Ask them about a community group. Ask them how they found our church. Ask them what their background is. That you would take one of those steps this morning so that we can have an identity in Christ that would begin to change our activity to be more like Christ because that is the goal. That's the goal of our faith. That's the goal of our time this morning. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, I thank you this morning for this truth that transforms. I thank you that we can look at chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians and know that this isn't just up to us. If we just stepped in today, if, if a man or woman just stepped in today and is reading this and thinking of all the things that I have to do, God, I pray that they would go back and read Ephesians 1 through 3 and see all that you have already done. And that that glorious grace that you have changed our identity would lead to a changed activity. And so, God, in this moment, I pray that we would confess what we need to confess, that we would see that picture of our old self, that you would give us grace in that moment, that all the reasons we're thinking we shouldn't do that and we should just dis dis distract and deflect, that, God, we would resist those things by the power of your spirit and we would confess and we would repent and we would be renewed and we would see some of these steps begin to take shape in our life so that we can experience the, the life, the Christian life that you designed because there's fullness there. There's joy there. So God, help us in this moment to experience that. Help us to take those steps. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.